0: Now, unless you're an airplane buff and know a little thing, little about uh, aviation and history, you probably won't recognize the name Charles Lawrence. Anybody heard of that name? Not a single one, I figured. Charles Lawrence is create, or credited with developing the engine for the Spirit of St. Louis. Now, I know you've heard of that. The Spirit of St. Louis was the aircraft that Charles Lindbergh flew nonstop from Long Island to Paris in 1927. And after Lindbergh's record setting flight, friends of Charles Lawrence held a dinner in honor of his achievement. And at the dinner, in response to all the attention being lavished upon him, he made this humble comment This is nice and I appreciate it very much, but who ever heard of Paul Revere's horse? <laughs> now, his comment reflects the humility with which the church, the body of Christ, should function. Some members are like Lindbergh. They're more prominent, they get the attention, but without the -the behind-the-scenes work of a man like Charles Lawrence, Lindbergh would never have gotten off the ground. And for the proper functioning of the body of Christ, there have to be dozens of faithful servants, humbly working behind the scenes, who don't care about getting the glory. Their desire is just to make the church be all that God wants it to be. And what God wants, to be, wants the church to be is what the Apostle Paul calls here in Romans the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And to humbly serve as the body of Christ and to function as a healthy body in the same way that Jesus humbly functioned and served while he bodily walked this earth. And so please look once again at Romans chapter 12 at the fourth verse. Here the Apostle Paul likens the church to a human body. A human body, as he says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a human body with with hands, with feet, with ears, with eyes, and so forth. And every part of the body has a different and distinct function. The eyes are for seeing. The mouth is for speaking. The hands are for performing tasks. The feet are for running and walking. So Paul says in verse 4 of Romans chapter 12, For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul says in verse 5, we who are many are one body in Christ. Now when the apostle Paul speaks of the church as a body, and he does that in several places in the New Testament, When he speaks of the church as a body, he moves back and forth between two meanings that overlap. One meaning is the universal church, the universal church. Every believer in Christ who has ever lived is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the whole comprised of every Christian who has ever lived. All believers from all time, everyone who is saved comprises the body of Christ. We could say it's the company of the redeemed. And for example, Paul wrote to the Ephesians that God put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and gave him head over all things to the church, to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of Christ, which is his body. This is the spiritual, the universal church of all believers. It doesn't matter which church, local church they attend or which denomination or non-denominational church they go to. If they are a believer in Jesus Christ and have trusted in him, this is the worldwide body of Christ. It constitutes the church worldwide. But the other meaning of the body of Christ that Paul thinks of is each local church. Each local church has the body of Christ as well. As Grace Baptist Church, we are the body of Christ. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he says to the local church in Corinth, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You, Corinthians, you are the body of Christ. Or as I like to put it, we are the body of Christ that meets in this place. As you know, the church is not a building. This building, as wonderful it is, and as blessed we are to have this building, is where Christ's body meets. And we are still as much as Christ's body when we're at Albertsons, we're in our homes, we're scattered all over the community, scattered all over the world, as it were, of people as they they travel. We are still much the body of Christ when we're not assembled here. Now, to put it another way, as Paul does here in Romans, is that the body of Christ are those who are in Christ. In Christ. Verse 5, we who are many are one body in Christ. We are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Perhaps you didn't know, and I even had to look it up. That phrase, in Christ, is used 89 times in the New Testament. The phrase is at the heart of the New Testament, what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person who is in Christ. And what this phrase means here, it means that it's the interwoven unity of all the members into one body is created, it's brought about in Christ, in Christ. Now, one simple way to say this is that each of us is in relationship to Christ And so, therefore, we are in relationship to one another. If I am Christ's brother, and you are Christ's sister, then you are my sister. By creating relationships within himself, Christ creates the relationships in the body. And in that way, we're in Christ. But there's a much deeper truth to this as well. The truth is deeper than that. Because what it means to be in Christ is far more profound than what the human analogy of family relationships suggests. That would be precious enough, and that's a great thing. We are the family of God. I'm so glad to be part of the family of God, and that's wonderful. But it's far more better than that. As wonderful as it is to be the family of God, to be in Christ goes much deeper than that. As well as being children of God, we are told in Ephesians, we are fellow heirs With Jesus. So, what this phrase in Christ means is that when you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord, a union is established between Christ and you in such a way that everything in Christ can be shared and will be shared with you. Everything that it means to be in Christ will be shared. And that means everything He is. Everything he has that can be shared will be shared with you because you are in Christ. That because as a child of God, everything that belongs to Christ, what? Belongs to you. There's only one thing that Christ can't share with us. His deity, right? It's Christ's deity. His unique God-defining attributes like omnipotence. Omniscience and eternality. He can't share those with us, but everything else that Christ is and has is yours in him. Everything. Now consider a few examples, that little phrase, in Christ. I'm not going to read all 89, but I want to read just a few. This is what it means for you to be in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, we receive grace in Christ. Romans 3.24, our redemption is in Christ. Galatians 2.17, we are justified in Christ. Ephesians 4.32, we have forgiveness of sins in Christ. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation in Christ. Romans 6.23, we have eternal life in Christ. Philippians 4.19, God supplies all our needs in Christ. Ephesians one three, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Romans one or Colossians 1.28, we will be presented to God perfect in Christ. Romans eight thirty two, we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. Now, in telling us who we are and what we have in Christ as fellow heirs, to be in Christ. Paul here is not departing from his passion in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. Remember what that passion was we looked at last week? To keep us humble and make Christ great. Even as a fellow heir of Jesus Christ, who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Why not? Because it's all of God's grace. It's all of God's grace. It's not of ourselves. It is because we are in Christ, it's all of him. So turn over to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 21. The third chapter of 1 Corinthians, the, the 21st verse. Listen to the way that Paul relates this truth to boasting. He says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or the life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You belong to Him. You are in Him. There's a union by faith so that all He is, He is for you, and we experience this together as one body, the church. We are redeemed together. We are justified together. We are forgiven together. We are created anew together. Every need met together, loved by God together, perfected together, living forever together, and all this glorious unity is created in Christ for the glory of Christ. This is the body of Christ. I like the way that John Piper expresses this. He says, Oh, let us never trivialize the church. It costs God the life of his son to create this. Let that sink in for a minute. For what we're doing here today, who we are here today, it costs God the life of his son to create this. And he says, What you share with the person sitting near you in Christ is a life In an inheritance and a union so great and so profound that it surpasses the value of all human relationships and all inheritances and can never end. Can never end. Look around and look at one another just for a moment as you let that sink in. What this is all about here this morning. And this brings us back to the simple truth, the family of God truth. That each of us is in relationship to Christ. We are therefore in relationship to one another. Every one of us need all the others. I want to take that to the deeper truth here now. I want us to see the deep truth and that simple truth of Romans 12, 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are individually members of one another. I don't know, there's something like thirty one another phrases in the New Testament as well. But I just want us to see, just here in Romans chapter 12, we see three more one another's. In verse 10, be to devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And then down in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. One translation renders verse 5 this way. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Each of us needs all the others. Life is all about God in Christ as well as life with each other. In other words, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, or as the poem says, no man is an island. And all of this goes against the selfish consumer mentality that's so prevalent in our times. For we tend to ask about everything, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? You remember that Satan tempted Eve with this promise. Satan said to the woman, For God knows when you eat of the fruit of this forbidden tree, when you eat of this fruit, Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the enemy did not deny that there is a God. The fact that there is a God is too obvious for Adam and Eve because they have walked with him, they have talked with him. Instead, Satan gave a subtle but deadly lie You can be God too. You can be God too. And to wrest control away from God is to swallow this lie. Though God is not denied, God is defied and dethroned, and man is deified and enthroned. Since I got that right, let me repeat it again. God is defied and then dethroned, and man is in turn deified and enthroned. Man is not satisfied sharing the stage with God. And so the end, in the end, man said, it, it's all about me. It's all about me, not God. You know, just listen to, to music anywhere on the radio, it seems these days. It's all about me, 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 me. There's a really famous popular song today. Me, where me is just emphasized over and over again. It, it's all about me. It's not about God. But this is a shallow boast that leaves man empty. And yes, God does use that emptiness to bring man back to him. But even after accepting Christ, it's always so easy to bring that what's-in-it-for-me mentality with us into one's relationship with God. And I'm not talking here so much about the word of faith movement, you know, name it and claim it, where if you have enough faith, you can get whatever's in it for me, that kind of thing. You know, it's really something more subtle than that. It's really a half-truth. Okay, now, people like to say, all I need is God. All I need is God. Emphasis on I. Now, is that true or or not true? All I need is God. Is that the truth? It is true, but it's only a half-truth. It's a half-truth. It's only one side of the coin. The way that God has designed us so that we live as one body, the whole truth is we need God, we also need one another. That's the way God designed it. It is true. All I need is God and all I need is you. (laughs) But we need God and one another. So let me ask you, what was the first human crisis? Most of us would say the first human crisis is when Adam and Eve sinned and fell. That was the first human crisis. But do you know that's not the first one that's listed in the Bible? In Genesis 2.8, God said of Adam, It's not good for the man to be alone. There's a crisis. He's alone. When God created light, he said it was good. Every time he creates, the Bible says, God saw that it was good. But then he looked at man and said, It is not good for the man to be alone. The first human crisis. But you say, Wait a minute. Adam was created perfect, he was created in God's image. God placed him in a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. Adam enjoyed a perfect, intimate relationship with God. How can God say it's not good for the man to be alone? Now the words it is not good here does not mean that it it is bad. It's not the opposite of good. The Amplified Bible clarifies it for us. It is not good, that is sufficient, satisfactory, that the man should be alone. God created Adam with physical needs. And he took care of all of those. God created Adam with spiritual needs. And he himself met met that need. He also created Adam with relational needs. With relational needs. All of us are created with relational needs. We are created to be in relationship with God. We are also created to be in relationship with one another. There's the God and man relationship, the vertical relationship. God took care of that. But what about the human-to-human horizontal relationships? That's why God provided Eve. Genesis 2.18 continues concerning Adam. God says, I will make a helper, a companion, a helpmate, suitable for him. The Hebrew word carries the idea of completer. The helpmate is a completer. Adam had some gaps, some lacks, (laughs) Eve had some gaps and some lacks, but putting them together, they were completed, or they completed one another. Adam completed Eve, Eve completed Adam. In his book, The Never Alone Church, isn't that a great title? The Never Alone Church, David Ferguson wrote this Yes, God is the ultimate source for meeting all of our needs. Yeah, ultimately, God meets all our needs. But we are biblically incorrect when we assert that God is all we need. We have a need for both God and for other people. You know, when your child is hungry and need of food, we cannot say, come over here, let me give you a big hug. (laughs) That doesn't meet the need, does it? Won't satisfy his hunger. Okay, let's bring this into the grown-up world. James 2.15 says, If your brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body. What use is that? You cannot fulfill a physical need with an emotional solution or even a spiritual solution. So we cannot fulfill man's horizontal needs with, with vertical solutions. In other words, we cannot say, all we need is God. We we need both God and one another. One time a lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And he said, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those words, the second is like it, or like unto it. Literally, there is a second set alongside it, it. of it. It's the same as the first. That's what the word means. The second that is equally important. Loving others is equally important as loving God. Ferguson adds, love for God is incomplete without love for our neighbors. So Romans twelve five again, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, individually members one of another. Now, now one could argue here that, that Paul's focus here on the individual is really to stress that, that each of us is, is part of the collective unity called the body. That each of us is a collective. We are connected with every other member of the body. So we might want to say here that there's, there's really no emphasis here on the value of individuality. To say that all that counts is the body, then the church is just a collective. Well, like worker bees. Uh, there, there's no difference between one worker bee and another, right? Right? We're just doing our thing for the, the good of the collective. We've got to do our thing. You know, quite frankly, to have that idea of a collective is very cult-like. Have you ever ever noticed that the cults just stamp out one person? It's a cookie cutter kind of thing. Everybody's got to be just like everybody else in the cult, in the collective. The, the body of Christ is not a collective. We are individually members of the body. And what Paul's saying here. That in our diversity, in our differences, we have different spiritual gifts. We have different functions. We have different personalities. We have different natural talents. We have different DNA. We are diverse in every way that you can think, think possible. But what he is saying here is we find our true individuality. We find our true individuality in relationship to the body of Christ. Paul is saying that our true individuality is found, it is discovered, it is experienced in relationship to the body of Christ. Think about verse 5 again. And individually, members of one another. Members, parts of one another, one by one, individually. And what Paul is saying here is, I am part of you, you are part of me. I am like your eye, or I could be like your ear, or your hand, or your foot, I am whatever I am, but I am to you, and you are like my eye or ear or hand or foot or whatever it is. Each individual, Paul says, is part of the other individuals in the body. And here's the amazing thing. That's who I am. I am part of you. You are part of me. You are part of each other. That's the way God created me individually. It's the way he created you individually. And that means that my individuality is not an independent individual thing like we stress in today's society. My individual identity, who I am, who I am in Christ, who Christ created me, me to be, how Christ created me to serve, cannot be known except in serving you as I rely upon Christ. I can't know who I am out there in the world as I serve in all kinds of ways. I I serve the community, on the zoning commission, in other ways, but I cannot know my true identity other than how I serve you and we serve one another in the body of Christ. And yours, your identity, can't be known except in serving others in reliance upon Christ. You cannot discover your identity in Christ apart from this body of Christ we serve that's why we have gifts Paul values individuality so high that he does not fail to tell us how our true individual selves to be known really are in relationship with one another you know back in the 60s and 70s I talked to guys in the dorm and it became just a trite saying there for a while but you know they'd actually say well, you know I'm trying to find myself I really don't. Yeah, you know, that was really common. You know, well, why are you going over here? Why are you doing this? Why are you trying that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to find myself. And even today, people are always trying to figure out who they are and what they're supposed to do. What is their purpose in life? How can they be significant? And like a popular youth ministry speaker at that time was Tony Campolo. And he would, people would say, oh, I'm trying to find myself. And, and he would say, what if you find you're your an onion? And they go, what do you mean? You just peel back layer after layer <laughs> until there's, that there's nothing less left. You will never discover who you are and what your purpose is apart from the body of Christ, apart from the church. You cannot know your true self, your individuality, your diversity, who God made you special to be and unique to be apart from the body. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute, 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we'll close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at, at verse 12. It takes Paul three and a half chapters. To explain in, in quite a bit of fullness what we have in just two verses <laughs> in Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul spends these three chapters, and he's, and uh, in verse 12 of Ro- or First Corinthians chapter 12, he says this: For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And now Paul uses an amazing word picture that that really borders on the absurd here to make his point. He says in verse 15, If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. Couldn't you just do kind of a caricature cartoon with that? You know, the foot looking up the rest of the body. Hey, I'm not part of the body. You know, how stupid do you think the rest of the body is here? The foot says they can't do what a hand does. Well, it's not part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, we're hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And I like the way that Chuck Swindoll explained this one time. He says, Sunday morning, the church is coming into the building to worship, and this big, giant eyeball comes down <laughs> the aisle. Blum, 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 blum. You know, what kind of church would that be? Verse 18. But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If we were all one member, where would the body be? For, now, for there, now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem with less honor, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need of it. Stop right there for a minute. Now think again about feet for a moment. The feet, what does it do? The feet, we walk, we we run. It, It gets us place. Without feet, If you have no feet here this morning, you'd have a hard time getting to this church, and so you depend on somebody else that has feet to get you here. But once we are here, those of us with feet don't show off our feet. That would be really wrong, wouldn't it? What if someone seated next to you said, took off their shoes and socks and said, would you get a load of these? (laughs) These are my feet. This is the great ride that got me here this morning. (laughs) No, we, we don't do that. So the feet, as important as essential they are, they're not going to be one of those upfront things that, that we show off at all. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Verse 25 So that there be what? No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, and all the members suffer with it, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If one member's body suffers, all the members suffer with it. Many of us know what it means to get a migraine headache. And the head hurts. And the pain is in the head, but it debilitates, debilitates the, whole, the whole body. Dizzy Dean is considered to be one of the greatest baseball pitchers that ever lived, if not the greatest. And all, of all things, Dizzy Dean gave up pitching because of a broken toe. A broken toe. It sounds kind of wimpy. Can't you just push through the pain and those kind of things until we realize that when he planted his foot during the pitch, he had to place it just right so his toe didn't hurt so bad, and it put him in an awkward position and he ended up throwing out his pitching arm. The best arm in baseball was ruined by a toe. When one member of the body suffers, all the members of the body suffer with it. All the members are to have the same care for one another, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. How do the members care for one another? By each one of us functioning according to God's will and helping the other members to function according to God's will. If one member suffers, it affects every member. If one member is healthy, it helps the others to be strong. There's a Swedish proverb that says, A shared sorrow is half the sorrow, and a shared joy is twice the joy. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. In other words, we are totally, completely dependent, interdependent on one another for the body to function well. But it takes humility to recognize this and make it work because our pride wants to get in the way and wants it to make us to be independent and not let anybody else know that we need somebody else. Several years ago, during a vacation Bible school, a woman teaching a primary class was interrupted about an hour before dismissal of the class when a new boy was brought in. He only had one arm. And the teacher didn't know any of the details about why he was missing his arm or how he may have adjusted to this handicap. And the teacher was very nervous and afraid that one of the other kids would comment on it and would embarrass him. But she had no opportunity to coach them on how to respond to such a thing. And as the class came to a close without incident, she began to relax. And she asked the class to join her in their usual closing ceremony. She said, let's make our churches. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. And the awful truth of her own actions hit her at that point. The very thing she feared the children would do, she had done it. But she paused, she was speechless, and the little girl sitting next to the new boy reached over with her left hand and placed it up against his right hand, and she said, Davy, let's make the church together. Let's make the church together. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this, our church, and by that I mean the people, that we can come together and we can gather and fellowship and worship and in Bible studies and at barbecues and all those ways you bring us together as the body of Christ to serve one another, to love one another. Father, I thank you that you have provided this body of Christ To each one of us that are here today. And to others, Lord, that are part of this body. And Father, I pray that as we make the church together. You will make each one of us individually what you want us to be. And to do what you want us to do. But Father, as the body of Christ that meets in this place. May we be effective. May we be fruitful. As we function as the Lord Jesus Christ in this community and in this world. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.